Today's Digging Deeper podcast is brought to you by MSA, the safety company. This is Becky Schultz reporting for the Digging Deeper podcast. Today I'm speaking with John Miola, safety manager for Timmins Group in Richmond, Virginia, about safety and health best best practices specific to personal protective equipment. John, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. This, uh, this topic is, is probably, you know, first and foremost on a lot of desks when um, it's, one of, it's one of the top, you know, top elements because it's so visual. Does that person have all their PPE on? Um, ironically, it's, it's, uh, it rarely shows up on the OSHA top 10 list, which gets published every year. Um, you know, they're aiming for, it's kind of like a whole separate set of uh, guidelines, but uh, suffice to say, it's one of the most frequently mentioned, you know, wear your PPE, it's visual, people see a worker on the ground, so it's an automatic um, identifier to say, hey, this guy's got all his complement of gear on. Uh, you did and, mention and I also practices. understand that I understand too, John. Sorry to interrupt, but I also understand mm-hmm. that OSHA is increasing their fines for violations this in twenty twenty. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just saw that. Well, it, they're taking advantage of the cost of living increase. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they they yeah they haven't done it in twenty years, so they got a lot of ground to cover. But you're right. You're absolutely right. There is a monetary penalty associated. Um, this is an important topic that is often overlooked. I mean, the PPE. It, it kind of begins and ends with where your safety glasses, where your hard hat. Well, there's technically there's a lot more to it, and we're going to cover that in, in somewhat of a, a rapid fashion. So, uh, if there are people listening in, I suggest you use a uh, pen and pencil to make some notes because we're going to cover. I'll mention the stuff that's a key word, and there are several. Um, number one, the um, the OSHA regulations are a minimum. In, in all categories of safety, but in, even including the PPE category, it's a minimum. Um, so it always implies we can do more, we can do better. And, and, you know, a lot of us have in our corporate safety mantra, we say our most important asset in our company is our uh, employees. And, and then we say, and we will comply with OSHA. Well, the implication is that we're going to protect our most important assets in the most minimal, <laughs> with the most minimum standard, which is all that OSHA requires. So sure. um, in, in, at the end of the day, we need to say, look, we can do better. We can exceed. And, and, and we'll give some examples of that as we go along. But um, it's a good starting point for demonstrating company culture. And right at that point, um, I always like to interject, branding is really critical in this regard. For example, your hard hat should have your company name on it. Your vest, your high-visibility vest, we always recommend getting them silkscreened, getting them printed. Now, if you're buying them out of a box from a catalog store, that's not going to happen. It's just going to be the bare item. Uh, We always recommend having them uh, printed with the company name or some other identifiers. Some companies have a safety logo, safety mantra. Uh, you can personalize it, say safety committee member. You can put the person's name on it. But we always recommend taking it to the next step. It shows that you've got skin in the game with a more advanced uh, purchasing and logistics uh, um, arrangement. Um, PPE in our business is evolving a lot faster than uh, most people recognize, for example, um, exoskeletons, robotics, uh, material science, engineered fabrics, 
composite hard hats, which are much lighter and, and arguably stronger, uh, wearables, uh, nanotechnology. There's a lot of technology being aimed at these, this you know, basic level. The thing we need to remember is that um, OSHA ostensibly calls it a um, category where we need to do a, a PPE assessment by the correct uh, progression through this, it's not enough just to say, well, we're going to wear, everyone's going to wear uh, eye protection, hard hat, et cetera. OSHA wants to see on paper. Then this is a nominal regulation. If you drill down into their rubric, um, it actually says an assessment will be performed to determine what is the best type, what is the hazard we're going to protect from. Uh, um, take gloves, for example, uh, they've recently revised their hand protection standard that, that specifies, uh, because of a lot of hand and finger injuries, uh, they want to see impact protection. They want to see um, uh, vibration dampening materials, they, um, guys using jackhammers, for example. Um, they want to see um, you know, high grip materials used, impermeable materials used where there's liquids, or chemicals, obviously, if you're handling acid or any type of corrosive, they're going to want to see a, a, a suitable fabric, nitrile or latex, whichever it is. Um, we're probably going to get a, um, a very abrupt lesson in hand hygiene by virtue of uh, global pandemic awareness, which is banging on our door increasingly. Sure. But um, you'll, yeah, you'll see, I mean, even now, you know, the guy that changes the oil on your tractor, he's wearing a pair of, uh, you know, surgical gloves, what do you call mechanics gloves, you know, just to keep his hands clean from the motor oil, which has long been considered a source of contaminants. I think it's a carcinogen in California. But the fact is, you don't want this guy going home with grease under his nails. He's going to pick up his kids or play a guitar. So you want um, uh, that level of protection. Well, OSHA wants to see this in writing. And, and the good thing is they give you the form. I've got a, a there's a link actually. It's uh, in there. They have an, a PPE assessment form, and it's a fillable form. Um, and you need to do that according to OSHA. You need to do that for every article of PPE or every hazard that you identify. Um, and on that H word, that's actually a key word. The word recognized hazard in the OSHA rubric. A recognized hazard means something that, hey, we've got put up our antennas. We've got to address this thing. And on that topic, there's something called the OSHA hierarchy of controls. And I know that sounds a little bit of, uh, pro, you know, professorial, but it's right out of the playbook of the safety engineers, safety community. The OSHA hierarchy of controls is very specific, and it's not complex. But they want engineering controls is the preferred level, meaning um, engineer this hazard out of existence in, through whatever means is possible. The next level of control is an administrative control, could be signage, could be training, could be supervision, could be job rotation. There's a number of but engineering, administrative, and the last of the controls is PPE. It's the default level, meaning we tried, but we could not figure out how to protect. Now, in the construction business, it's almost implied on a job site with so many different operative factors, um, you know, you're not going to be able to control them all. So, you know, the employee may pick up a hammer, 
he may pump some gasoline, he may handle liquids, he may be looking up overhead. So or there may be, you know, material from another adjacent operation. So it's implied that PPE is almost going to be a universal category. Well, your assessment has to say that. Why are you putting this person in a face shield, uh, wraparound eye protection? All I'm doing now is trying to lay out a little bit of a framework for your uh, to strengthen up your paper chain. The average safety director usually has a pretty good clue on this, but um, you know, let's face it, we don't all have the lu- all have the luxury of hiring uh, full-time safety guys. If it falls to the job superintendent, the project manager. Um, these are operative terms, this hierarchy of control, hazard identification, hazard recognition first, and then that's followed by the next keyword, which is hazard identification. Like recognizing it is one thing, identifying it, and that would be like, um, you know, recognizing a bad step or a hole in the ground or a hole through a roof, even more draconian example, um, and then identifying it at least marking it, signage, warning signage, decals, pinch points, uh, all of which are right out of the playbook, um, hazard identification. So then we drop to the level of controls and we go through engineering administrative. And obviously, if you can fix the problem and eliminate it, well, you, you know, that's one and done. Well, at the bottom, you know, at the end of the food chain, we have the universal default catch-all category to say, no, look, wear your gloves, wear your glasses, wear your hard hat, because I can't account for that what that person's doing, you know, on the floors above or the adjacent site or, um, you know, somebody swinging a shovel next to you. You know, that's, that's actually a very common injury with people swinging long-handled tools in the vicinity. People get struck very often. So, um, so we do have to pay attention to it. And if you do want to avoid uh, that category of default with OSHA, have your um, uh, assessment at least, you know, at least follow the template on their website, which gives a, you know, a little bit of a degree of certainty. You're at least going through the, um, you know, the protocol. Um, two John, categories. Can I, can I ask off- a, a quick question? What about things uh-huh. that are what about those things that you feel would be a little more subjective um, in, in terms of assessing whether they're a hazard? I, I, I'm thinking of, um, for example, uh, somebody who may need um, eye protection. Maybe it's it's an uncertainty, or maybe there's a lot of ambient noise, and they it may not be very consistent in terms of the noise levels. Is there anything mm-hmm. that OSHA says about those things that might be a little bit more subjective in terms of, of assessing it, them? It does. It, it does. This, this category has been researched, um, you know, researched and, and regular, regulated uh, to a very, you know, fine degree. Um, for example, on the eye protection, there's, you know, there's literally a hundred different varieties of eye protection. And, and OSHA requires very simply that the selection be correctly determined. You, you provide the, uh, uh, the right type of eye protection to the employee for whatever hazard there is. Well, then there's a training component. And during the training, OSHA would look to say, if there were some of those factors you mentioned, uh, they would look to say, well, was this addressed in your training? Did you tell the employee that, you know, early in the morning when the glare is blinding, well, that's when you want to use your tinted lenses. Did you also tell them that, you know, on a cloudy day, you don't want them wearing tinted lenses, you want them wearing clear lenses? 
or for another example is the face shield. Face shields um, that that are supplemental to primary eye protection, such as safety wraparound glasses, that they're not even glass anymore, they're polycarbonate. Um, you say, if you're going to do a job that could cause flying particles, well, your eyes are protected. Now we want your face protected. Okay, well, good. I'm going to put my face shield on. I get it. But to do that, I have to take my hard hat off. So that leads us to the little guy that comes along, the aftermarket vendor. He sells a face shield that bolts onto the cap. Well, I've seen, you know, a hundred different varieties of that face shield, and, and probably only two or three of them are really effective at protecting while they're bolted to the cap. Most of them have a very awkward hardware arrangement that creates more of a issue than, than it solves. Right. But but that's another example. So so in the selection process, OSHA OSHA expects the employer to make the correct selection. And I don't want to start dropping names, but there's only two or three hard hat manufacturers out there who sell an integrated face shield bracket for their helmet that bolts on and it it makes a very tight seal and it's integrated and it's all one piece and it's lightweight and it works. And, and, you know, it's a replaceable face shield. Well, well, it's up to us to do the due diligence and drill down and find that stuff. I don't want to drop any names, but there's a certain company (laughs) that does mining safety. (laughs) So um, the fact of the matter is that the, you know, the, the compatibility of the PPE with the circumstance is the responsibility of the employer. And it has to be, and they give you that category of the training and information element to be able to say, look, we covered this in the training. The employee where, for example, another example is the, em- <clears throat> the employee wears prescription eyewear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we either bought him prescription eyewear in a safety um, glass configuration, which they are available. You pay a you know prescription price, but or you give the person a, these big bulky you know, overburden goggles that they put over their regular eye protection. And I can tell you that's not going to work because right. they're bulky and cumbersome and fog mm-hmm. up. And, and, you know, I don't want to scratch my nice lenses. So there's got to be a, a midpoint workaround. The other word you mentioned was, say, for example, noise protection, hearing protection. Um, that category, ironically, not only butts up against PPE, but if you actually read the OSHA standard, there's a giant chapter in OSHA on hearing protection. And you got, you got to have a, you can't just randomly hand out earplugs and say, hey, Jethro, wear these things because, you know, we, we had to take the muffler off or it's noisy. Well, well, there's got to be some determination based on, you know, the usage, the, the, the duration of exposure, the level of exposure. Uh, by the way, most most cell phones today, I know my iPhone, you can you can either buy the app or it has it in it. It turns it into a sound meter. Um, so it's like a slam dunk on getting a reading. And the ironic thing is, you know, we hand out earplugs like they're, they're confetti. I mean, everyone has the earplugs, whether they're on a cord or they, they pop in. Well, technically, there's supposed to be a little tutorial in there in how to correctly insert these earplugs. And and actually, if you read the bag that the little things come in, it says it right on it. It says how to, you know, mm-hmm. properly reach over your head, lift your earlobe, insert the plug, make sure it's seated, let it expand, uh, keep your hands clean so you're not causing ear problems. 
but there's but every one of these little items has a food chain associated with it that that you know a, a line in a logbook or a document in a, a safety meeting file that can save you a lot of headaches if an inspector comes out and it's not just about you know compliance you're actually doing the employee a favor by educating them and equipping them with the right material the right set of instructions What separates the new MSA V-Guard H1 safety helmet from every other work at heights option is more than 100 years of safety experience. The H1 human-centered design was inspired, tested, and refined in the most challenging, most rigorous conditions with the most critical audience. The new V-Guard H1 safety helmet from MSA. You deserve a helmet from a company as dedicated to safety as you are to getting the job done. very key point using hearing protection while we're on that topic um, sure. that's been an eternal yeah that's been an eternal source of concern for equipment operators it's like well you know now mercifully you know the problems pro it's probably going to go away in in our lifetime because number one the machines are being quieter they're made Absolutely. with more sound dampening material and you know uh, the cabs are insulated and the doors close and the air conditioned and so the problem will reduce itself over time. The other iteration on that is the, um, you know, the whole generation of driverless machines is, is on our doorstep. I mean, mm -hmm. that's probably within the next five years, you're going to see the operator standing on a hill operating the machine remotely. And, you know, there's several benefits to doing that. He could probably run three at the same time. But the guy sitting in the seat getting pounded by noise and vibration all day, I would I would say that's got like a five year window before it recedes right out of you know right out of the picture. Uh, but for now, yes, they need to wear the hearing protection if the exposure is eighty five decibels for anything approaching four, five, six hours. And the reason is not only is it protecting their hearing, but but exposure to that loud noise at that level for any period of time. It's fatiguing and it's tiring, and it and it in addition to you know potentially damaging the hearing. Then most operators are going to tell you, oh yeah, no, I lost my hearing a long time ago <laughs> when there were no mufflers or running a chainsaw. Sure. Well, I get that, I get that part, but I don't want to own it on a long-term workers' comp claim. So we're going to provide the hearing protection. We're going to show how to use it. We're going to give a tutorial. We're going to you know either either require it or or recommend it, whichever level we're at. Um, and the other version, most people are, are kind of wedded to earplugs, and, and they are handy and easy, but the, the next level is the ear muffs, the actual muffs themselves, which are a little more bulky, um, but they're, you know, equally, equally as or more effective than the plugs. So um, a good program will offer the option. Right. And again, you run into the yeah, you run into the issue of saying, well, well, you know, I can't wear a hard hat if I'm wearing the earmuffs. Well, I beg to differ because uh, that same there are a few vendors out there who make a compatible earmuff that attaches to a hard hat, mm -hmm. and and it's a it's a and it's a, a you know fairly well engineered system. So, in any event, um, you know, technology I think is going to save us not only you know, it's going to have the answers not only on the PPE side. But it's likely going to make a lot of the 
um, you know, the original problem recede into the distance at the engineering level. Just, you know, sure. you buy that yeah. new machine with the, yeah, with the backup camera on it. And all of a sudden, well, maybe I don't need a spotter, you know, following my machines around. Well, the fact is uh, the camera is going to do the work. So um, in any event, um, the, uh, I, I want to just address, address very briefly the, on that topic of selection of PPE. Right. Most of us, yeah, most of us, you know, we either do a Google search or we, we have the Granger catalog or we have, you know, some big book in front of us. And, and there's a, you know, there's a billion different versions of PPE. Well, which one do I choose from? Correctly speaking, here's the recommendation. Put the book back under the, you know, use the book as a foot, footrest. Look in the yellow pages. Find the closest equipment dealer near you safety supplier, safety equipment dealer. And these guys are like, I mean, they're all over the place, but they're under the radar. They're not glitzy, you know, brick and mortar. They're not in a high dollar shopping center. So you kind of have to look for them. They, they really, you know, they're more like a warehouse grade operation. However, the guy that I use down here in Richmond, Virginia, you walk into his store, it's like a toy store for construction geeks. I mean, it is just lined with like, like, hey, wow, what is this? And he explains. Well, I says, give me one of those. I'm going to try it out. <laughs> the, the moral, yeah, I, honest to God, the moral of the story, and, and most of the PPE, the, it's, it's consumable stuff. So it's not really that expensive. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, if you're buying, you know, high-end rain suits or muck boots or footwear, um, but, you know, there's an accountability associated with it. When you issue a piece of PPE to the employee, you know, typically it's like, well, hey, I gave you one last week. Well, what do you do, eat these things? Well, no, I lost it or I, I forgot it or I gave it away or it broke. Well, there's accountability for that. And OSHA does have a little couple of like three sentences built into their you know, giant inventory of, of procedures right. to say, what if an, yeah, if an employee is abusing the privilege, in other words, well, there's some accountability for that. You can either charge them a nominal amount, but you can't not give it to them. You can't not, you can't withhold it, and therefore they don't have any protection. You can discipline the employee at the far end of the um, um, the cycle to say, look, I've given you, you know, three pairs of safety glasses this month. I mean, what's going on? And I can tell you there's uh, the new technology is they give uh, they put vending machines in the in the actual, you know, in the construction shop or in the uh, I saw them at the Amazon uh, fulfillment center the other day. They give the employee a card and Mm -hmm. it's like a vending machine and he can buy his PPE. It's charged to the to the account, but it's a means of, of accountability and tracking. But the, um, right. the bottom line on this is you should, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, to me, it sounds like um, all of this in terms of the accountability, it also goes back to that whole issue of making sure people are trained as far as the proper use and care of the PPE. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Absolutely right. I mean, I, I, mean, I have seen cases where, um, you know, guys in the break room, they try to clean their glasses. Well, they use they use either a piece of paper or something that's, well, they end up with scratches on the lenses. Sure. Well, no one ever told them, say, hey, look, you, you know, use the lens cleaning or, you know, soap and water, but don't just rub them dry because you're going to scratch the lens and that's going to cause early degradation. You're going to be back here in, in, you know, three days saying, hey, I can't see. So, so the correct instruction, and that is another requirement by OSHA, 
um, I mean, on hard hats alone, the, the 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 set of standards on hard hats. It used to say that it used to say shall. Now I think they broke it down to should. But the shell of the hard hat has a recommended life of five years. Okay. And I guarantee you, if you go out on any site, you're going to see people out there that say, yeah, I got this hat when I get out of the Navy, and I've had it for like you know, 18 years. Oh, my. Well, well that <laughs> hat, I see, I see it all the time. Well, because they got, they got the picture of the kid on it, or they got the girlfriend's you know, tattoo or whatever. They've, they, they've kind of you know, personalized the hat. Right. Well, you're not going to take it away from the guy. He's he's in love. He's got the sticker from the job he worked up on the North Slope, or he's got you know some legacy stuff on the hat that sure. it's very important to him. Well, you got to tell him, say, look, Jethro, put that hat on your on your mantle, or put it under your pillow, but you can't use it on the job. It's out of spec, and not to mention that's the hat. Well, there's something inside the hat called the headgear. Mm-hmm. The headgear has a recommended life of two years. Oh. And I can tell you, n- yeah, really. I mean, not to mention, I, I, I would roll over in, in fright if I saw the day that somebody actually washed the headgear, you know, or the hat, rinse it out with soap and water. Um, you know, they just wear this thing forever and ever. Here's the problem with that. The scalp has oil, the air, the hair, human hair has a lot of oil in it. Well, that Uh gets absorbed into the webbing of that hat. If you look at the webbing of the hat, it's all, it's like seatbelt material, it's nylon. Mm -hmm. Well, that stuff absorbs the oil and the moisture and the dirt and whatever else is in there. And unless that gets rinsed out periodically, it can degrade the that fabric over time now the truth is they make that stuff strong enough you could tow a truck with it but but that's the chemical properties not to mention exposure to sunlight over time ultraviolet light degradation on any exposed synthetic material so it's a good idea to keep the hard hats you know in a cycle of production we're talking about there may be like um you know a, a good level hat you're probably talking 20 bucks 19, you know, 19 bucks, you buy them by the case. But remember, go back to what we said earlier. You want to have these things personalized. Get your name stenciled on them in advance. And there's a few manufacturers out there increasingly with laser printing and, and, and all of the, you know, high-tech manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They will put your name on anything. They'll put it on the temple of the safety glasses. They'll put it on your corded earplug. I mean, they will personalize you get extra credit for that. And and why Not is that? From a, you don't get the credit from OSHA. You get the credit from what's called the the principle. This is try to get your head around this one. This is called the principle of it's right out of behavioral psychology playbook. It's called effective behavior. Effective okay. with an A, with an A. And and I can tell you safety people and HR people, they're the ones that study that stuff because that's what helps you turn the corner on getting that person to actually use the equipment you're going to provide. Because if this person, you you know, you give them a dorky looking pair of safety glasses, of which there are a lot of them out there, the Mm -hmm. cheapest brands, they, you know, they look like they fell off a a turnip truck. They're just awful. Well, they're, and, and plus they're uncomfortable. If you spend another couple of bucks, you get the good stuff, it's personalized, well, that sends a message about your sincerity 
for the employee's safety, about the company's culture, about the buy-in, about the long-range stability of our program, that sends a, an enormous banner of a message out to the world to say, hey, listen, look, this is our company property. We're proud of it. We want you to use it. We buy good grade stuff. And I have several several of my clients here in Richmond. I mean, they, I love freeloading their stuff because it's better than what I use. <laughs> in any event, the at, you know, at the end of the day, that sends a message. So using that simple example to say, well, we've got to keep, you know, we've got to replace the hard hats once every five years. Well, right. or, or new employees or turnover, or we've got to replace them. Well, at least, you know, pony up, but you can't buy these out of a catalog. You've got to get these from a, you know, reputable supplier who can provide a nice silk screen. And, and by the way, most hard hats we recommend, if there's going to be any site work, traffic exposure, machine movement on a site, mm-hmm. we want that hat to have reflective striping on it sure. for day and night, day, you know, low light conditions. Right. Uh, the, same with, the same with your safety vests. We recommend minimum class two, class three, if there's any going to be any, any roadway exposures. Um, I was on a site this morning. We were working right adjacent to 65 mile an hour traffic. But we had Jersey barriers set up, but still mm-hmm. required, you know, class three upper body high visibility. Right. So, um, and and again, you know, with the, with the company logo, um, in any event, there's you know th- th- that category alone can make or break the the employee buy-in, which is the critical part, because you could give right. this person, you know, the Rolls Royce of of equipment, but if if it's uncomfortable or or they're just not going to wear it. Well, then, here, I'll give you another example. This actually happened on one of our jobs. Uh, the superintendent called me up and said, look, I'm getting ready to fire Tiny. And and I said, Tiny, I said, he's my safety committee guy. He said, you can't fire. He's the best uh-huh. guy. He said, Tiny will not wear his hard hat. This guy was in Waco, Texas. They used to call him Tiny. Now, do the, uh-huh. do the math. Waco, Texas, the word Tiny. What does that tell you? <laughs> this guy was like seven, he was seven feet tall and, you know, as a giant guy. Sure, and, sure. You know, so I, so I call him up. I say, "Have Tiny call me. I need to." Tiny calls me up. He says, "Miola, I can't wear this hat. It gives me headaches." It, well, then it dawned on me. They gave Tiny the same hat as they gave everyone else on the okay, job. Okay, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well, that hat he had. He actually tried taking the suspension out of it to make oh. it just a little more. Yeah, which is totally illegal. I mean, right. So, so, so I went back and did the research. Well, my manufacturer, which was MSA at the time, they make a hat in three sizes: small, medium, large. And I can tell you, Tiny needed the size large hat. Which we, mm-hmm. the ironic part is, when we went back to the supplier and said, "Hey, look, I need a couple of you know size large hats." He says, "I can only sell you a case of them, <laughs> so I oh. had to buy a case." Which I did not mind because I had sure. other people that we identified that say, "Hey, look, try out this hat." It's a, and, it, and it does; it fits like the medium size hat in most of the you know one size fits all categories. That fits like ninety seven percentile of the population. Sure, sure. Well, well, every so often, you know, I got I got some kid. She got out of the Navy. She was like you know five feet one inches tall, and they tried to give her the hat. She was swimming in it. 
So right. I had to buy a size small. Yeah. In any event, the compatibility, so the sizing is very important. Right. You so you, not, in you other words, you really get, need to, to make sure that you are taking in a, into account certain individuals who may not need this, you know, be able to use the same type of PPE as others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And that's, and that's got to be, now that you will get extra credit for in your program. Got if it. OSHA sees that you have actually lifted a finger to accommodate either special needs right. or unusual circumstance sure. or specialty gear, you get extra credit for that. Okay. Um, now, I, we are yeah. getting getting to a point where we need to wrap things up here, John, but um, I guess All the right. one thing I'd like to, to ask you is, based on, on our conversation today, is there anything else that um, you have to recommend in terms of best practices, or is there anything you want to offer just to kind of wrap things up here? Yes, just uh, just you know, just the the admonition and the recommendation. Get tied into some source of current information. Most of us are buying the same safety glasses, the same hard hats, the same gloves that we've bought for a generation. Well, I can tell you, the industry has moved on. There are websites, there's magazines, there's uh, equipment today. For example, I see a lot of your advertisers and vendors sure. they illustrate best practices mm -hmm. so at least be tied into something current that gives you know periodic updates new equipment available new product information um uh, i just got a set of gloves from honeywell that they're called the rig dog gloves and i mean mm -hmm. these things are they're very high dollar but they are a specialty type of glove for vibration and impact and grip and and you know so so I would recommend that people get tied into a, a, a you know a steady source of improvement. We all hear the mantra of continuous improvement. Well, this is one way you can put that actually into your food chain and take advantage of it. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. I, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I've learned a lot from it. And I'm sure our well, I'm glad, have as I'm well. Glad. Thank you for bringing up the topic. Listen, we'll plan for the next next version because we've basically scratched the surface on the I topic. I agree. But, but <laughs> thank you for thank you for bringing it up into the daylight. I it is our pleasure, and I look forward to the next time around. And listeners, please be sure to uh, stay tuned because we will be speaking with John again about uh, additional safety related topics in the near future. This podcast was brought to you by MSA, the safety company. Thank you for joining us.